Last night uh, was a very short night for me because I was with a family who was there as the last part of that song that we just sang was, was applying to him as he drew, drew his final breath. And I praise God that in that moment that the family could witness and testify to me of his faith in Christ. That makes all the difference in the world to know that when you're going to draw your final breath, and unless Christ returns soon, you're going you're gonna to do that. And we all should be thinking about that. And the great news of the gospel is that we have a high priest who has conquered death for us. And we're going to learn about that today in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 22. I, I want to share with you as you're turning there, just a couple of thoughts to sort of set up the sermon this morning. I want you to know, I want you to be reminded that we have hope in a broken world because God has spoken. If God didn't bother to speak, we wouldn't be able to know Him. But praise God, there's not just a God who exists, there's a God who speaks. And He has spoken definitively and authoritatively and finally in His Word as revealed to us uh, in His Word and then that, that, that it is about His Son, that His Son is the, the final Word of God. The, the Bible, from cover to cover, is a Son-centered book. This book is all about the Son of God. The Bible is not some sort of punch list of pragmatic self-help to improve your dead life in the wilderness. That is not what the Bible is. It's not, it's not a tip or a trick to improve your life. It is a book about how to have true life. And the only way to have true life is to look for the Son of God, find Him in the Word of God, and trust in Him. Jesus is the only one who can restore the rebellious. He is the only one who can cleanse the corrupt, the only one who could deliver the defeated and build up the broken. The Bible is about Jesus and having life in Him. And it's not a hope-so life. It is a life that is guaranteed by Christ Himself, as we'll see in verse 22. This, this, this reading of the Bible is something that even Christians have struggled to understand down through the centuries. Some have read the Old Testament as though Jesus just miraculously appears in the New Testament like God's plan B. It's like, well, if the Old Testament didn't work, well, golly, I guess I'll have to try something else out. I guess I'll send my son and see if that works out. But that is not at all what's happening in the New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old. He is what is anticipated there. God is not surprised that He had to send His son as a rescuer. God is God is not sending Jesus as plan B. Jesus is the person who accomplishes, who fulfills God's plan and His promises. Peter says it this way, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. God was not surprised. He was writing a story that only has one ending that works. Have you ever seen those stories where you can sort of pick your ending? You know, you want a happy ending, you want a mysterious ending. You want an ending that doesn't end and it's to be continued. That, that is not the Bible. If you pick any other ending than I need Jesus to save me, then the Bible's not going to do you any good. The ending that works is the ending that takes you to faith in the Son 
of God. But some of the Hebrews wanted to write their own story. They wanted to say, well, why don't we just go back to the Old Testament and just do the Old Testament stuff because we're being persecuted for following Jesus. So let's just go back to sacrificing animals. That should be good enough for God. And the answer to that way of thinking is, no, you can't go back. You can't write your own ending to the story. God offers a sure and certain hope of salvation in only one place, through Jesus, the resurrected and ascended King and great high priest. And because that is true, because salvation, the salvation that God gives and that He desires for you is found only in Christ, we get in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 and following, a defense of Jesus as the only way to God. Would you hear with me the Word of God? Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, meaning the, the system of sacrificing animals in the tabernacle and then in the temple in the Old Testament, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah... So here's what he's saying. I just want to pause real quick. He's saying Jesus is not descended from Levi. He's descended from Judah. And Judah never had a priest in the Old Testament. Tracking? All right. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So here's what's going on in 13 to 17. I'll give further explanation in a moment. But he's saying, look, we know Jesus didn't descend from Levi and that's okay because he's got a better priesthood. It comes in an entirely different way. He didn't have to be born. His daddy didn't have to be a Levite. He, in fact, he didn't even have to have a human father. He is a priest of a whole different, forever lasting order that reigns supreme over the Old Testament priesthood. Okay? Verse 18. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, meaning the Levites. They became priests without an oath. They were just born into it. But he, meaning Jesus, with an oath, through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Hebrews 7, is, it's, uh, it's dense material. It's challenging material. And yet it is so liberating when we understand what you've done for us through Jesus. God, that we have access to our Maker, 
through the blood of Jesus. And that is a much better covenant than any other covenant we could have. So God, I pray today that we would understand what you're saying to us and then we would then live it out in our lives, that we would draw near continually to the God who has made us and made it possible for us to be rescued through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son. We ask it for His glory. Amen. So I want to show you four things from this text this morning. All of Hebrews to this point is saying, don't run back, don't run back, don't run away from Jesus, don't go to any other system of righteousness, only Jesus will work. Therefore, you can't fall away from Jesus because nothing else will do, not even the Old Testament. And because that's true, there's four things we see in this text. We must not fall away from Jesus because, one, no other system of righteousness leads to the perfection that God requires of His people. God has a holy, perfect standard. The only way to meet that standard is not by what you do, but what, by what Jesus has done for you. There's no other way. Second, the promise of a perfect and forever life with God only comes through Jesus God's risen and forever priest. There's no plan B. It's Jesus or bust. You can be right with God through Jesus, or you cannot be right with God. Number three, Jesus gives a hope that does not disappoint. And finally, God has promised, sworn with an oath, that Jesus is it. There is no other option coming. He is his final forever priest, the guarantee of a better covenant. First, no other system of righteousness leads to the perfection that God requires of his people. In verses 1 through 10, last week we saw that the author was proving to us that Jesus is greater than Abraham and he's greater than the Levitical priesthood. Now, Hebrews is answering this question, but why did we need a better high priest in the first place? Why did we need Jesus to come? And the reason we needed Jesus to come is because the old covenant and the service of the Levite priests in the tabernacle and the temple could not bring, do you see that word in verse 11, perfection. Did you know God requires perfection? Anybody here perfect? None of you, starting with me. So how in the world can we be perfect? Only through the blood of Christ, the perfect lamb, who on, on the basis of his sacrifice, we can be declared perfect. But bulls and goats and lambs would not do. And in particular, the author mentions Aaron, because the line of the high priest comes through Aaron, who serves on the Day of Atonement. You remember the Day of Atonement? They would sacrifice the Passover lamb and we're good for another year, but they weren't good forever. They were just good for another year. As soon as they sacrificed the Passover lamb, somebody probably broke one of the Ten Commandments on the way home. Somebody got angry. Somebody coveted somebody else's mule. Something else happened, right? They, they were sinning as they were leaving the Day of Atonement. Their hearts weren't changed. Their sin might have been paid forward another year, but their hearts weren't changed. Only the sacrifice of Jesus could change the human heart. Only God can change the heart. So perfection here refers to the perfection that God's people are going to enjoy when Christ returns. Did you know one day it's going to be perfect? Conditions will be perfect. You will live in a raised, glorified, and indestructible body, free from sin, and you will be forever in the presence of Jesus Christ, your King, in the new heavens and the new earth, where you can worship Him freely and perfectly forever. Forever. 
but only if you trust in Him. The law and the Levitical priesthood could not accomplish the salvation of God's people. Schreiner says it this way, The Levitical priesthood is inadequate. It does not truly and finally forgive sins and provide access to God. It does not transform human beings so they become righteous. It does not restore the rule human beings lost when they sinned. You see, church, if the Old Testament system of sacrifice could have produced in our hearts what is required to please God, then why would He send Jesus to be another priest? I mean, why would you send your son to be slaughtered? If you could be right with God in some other way. But we needed another priest. We needed another way to have fellowship with God our Maker. Do you see those words, another priest, in verse 11? We needed a priest who came outside the line of the Levites. We needed another one. And praise God, another one has come. And his name is Jesus. And the arrival of Jesus as a better high priest means, according to verse 12, that the terms have changed. When a new priest from a forever order comes, then guess what you don't have to do anymore? Go to the temple and sacrifice an animal to be right with God. When Jesus came, the Lamb of God came, and there was no longer any other need to offer any other lambs or go to any other priest because Jesus sacrificed Himself to secure once and for all forever access into the presence of God. The law was not given to save. It was designed to show us that we needed a Savior. We needed someone better than any priest of Aaron serving in a temple on earth. We needed Jesus always and forever serving for us in the heavenly sanctuary, accessible to all of God's people for all time, in all places. Did you know you can go on a mission trip and God's still there? Wherever you go, God is accessible to the one who has placed their faith in Christ because there's nowhere that you can go that Jesus can't grant you access into the presence of God. Jesus came as high priest because no other system and no other person other than God made flesh could restore us to the love of our Heavenly Father. Now, I want to apply this this morning because I I polled about ten of you in the hallway and I said, are you you facing the temptation to want to go back and sacrifice some lambs? And all of you said no. I'm just kidding. I didn't really do that. But I suspect if I I were to poll you, I mean, are you really... Do you find yourself right there in Hebrews chapter 7 being like, man, I just want to go back and kill some lambs today? I mean, unless you want some lamb chops. But, but th- this, is, this is difficult for us to know how to apply it. I mean, just pastorally, it's been challenging for me to, to know how to preach this chapter. But, but as I was meditating on this chapter this week, I said, you know what? Nobody, nobody at North Road Baptist Church is like, I want to return to sacrificing animals. But you know, I've met all kinds of people who do want to return to a system of self-righteousness. When they sin against a holy God, they don't want to just confess it, repent it, repent of it, move on and be healed. They want to cover it up with a bunch of good works. You know how this works, right? You're at the office and you lose your temper, you lose your cool with somebody. And then you're like, you know what? That was really embarrassing, but I'm too prideful to go tell my colleague that I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness, so I'm just going to be really nice to them for three months and then pretend like it never happened. 
get caught up in a gossip loop and it gets passed from one person to another person and you had the opportunity to stop it dead in its tracks but you said nothing and so then you feel guilty about it and you go to that person and your syrupy's super nice around them all the time and they have no idea why but you're trying to make up for that thing that you did that you could have just confessed and repented of and you know what's happening when we do that we're running back to our own law we're running back to our own system of self-righteousness in our flesh we run back to pride and what we think we can do to make up for our sin but we can't make up for our sin it's only made up for and atoned for through the blood of christ so what we should do is in those moments say what i did was wrong what i said was wrong Will you forgive me? That's where we can be healed. Church, if the Old Testament law couldn't save anybody, surely the laws we make up for ourselves and the mental games that we try to play with God won't save us. Our only hope is the perfect life of Jesus given for us. Secondly, we see in this text that the promise of a perfect and forever life with God only comes through Jesus, God's risen forever priest. Verses 13 through 7, 17 rather, the author is clarifying that he's not speaking hypothetically. He's not saying it's not that another priest could come, it's that another priest has come. And his name is Jesus, and he is the Lord, he is our authority. And then he clarifies for us that Jesus though he's not coming through the line of Levi, but the line of Judah, is nevertheless a priest. Now, we would expect a king through the line of Judah, right? This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus is the king of David. David was a son of Judah. It goes all the way back to Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read, And to David I say, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We know that there's supposed to be a forever king from the line of Judah and the line of David. And then we read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, The lion that is from the tribe of Judah... The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. The king has the authority over the book of life. But what's interesting to me in Revelation chapter 5 is what we read in verse 6. We read about a lion in verse 5, but listen to what we see in verse 6 or what John sees. He says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. Jesus is the lion, he's the king, but he's the lamb, the great high priest who makes a way for sins to be forgiven through his blood. What he's saying to us is, look, even though Moses never talks about a son of Judah serving as a priest, verse 14, he can be a priest because he's a priest not on the basis of biology, but on the basis of his indestructible life. It's not based on physical requirement, verse 16, but the power of an indestructible life. Aren't you glad that no one can destroy the life you have in Christ? That the life that He's given to you is indestructible? 
The Levitical priesthood could not produce that. The Levites just kept on dying. Their priesthood was bound up with the distinctions of race and tribe and family. It was limited by our human infirmity and the changes that come with sickness and death. But not so Jesus, because Jesus had a life that was His to give, not yours to take. Do you remember what happens on the cross? It says, and He yielded up His Spirit. Jesus set the terms, knowing that on the third day, even death could not hold Him. Which is why in verse 11 and in verse 15, Hebrews says that a priest would arise. Do you see that in your your Bibles? The language is important. It's not that Jesus just came or that He appeared, but He arose. He's risen. As Pastor Paul likes to say, Brother Paul likes to say, we're Easter people. Christ rose from the grave. We read that there was a need for another priest to arise, and one has risen, verse 15. The word arise is the same word that's used for the word resurrection. Jesus took our sin, He died for it, and then He rose from the grave, and He paid the price of sin, which was death, and He overcame it by the power of His indestructible life. Acts 2.24 says it this way, God raised Him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. In his resurrection and in his ascension, Jesus is installed as priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who we learned about last week. Now, I want want you to see in verse 17, he's quoting from Psalm 110 verse 4. And he's saying that all the way back in Psalm 110, God made an announcement to his son, you're going to be installed as priest. You're not just going to be a king of David, you'll also be a forever priest. And you're going to be a forever priest on the basis of what? An indestructible life. That's what we need. A forever life with a forever God. Which means that when you trust in Jesus, you get the forever life of God through the sacrifice of Jesus in Uh, in your stead, in your behalf, which means Jesus gives a hope that does not disappoint. Verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, we read that the law is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Those are strong words. I mean, if I walked up to you and said, you're just weak and useless, well, thanks, Pastor. Appreciate that. Um, I mean, we don't run around calling things weak and useless, right? But, But the law is called weak and useless, right here in Hebrews chapter 7. So what does this mean? This is is very important. The law is weak because it is not the gospel. Alright? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus in my place is the power of God and salvation. The law is not that message. So the law is weak in the sense that it cannot save. It is useless in the sense that it does not save sinners. But the author of Hebrews is not saying that the law is pointless. The law, when we understand it correctly, does accomplish what it was sent to do. And what was it sent to do? Paul says this, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. So the law helps us know that we are sinners. It helps us understand that God is righteous, that He's holy, that He's just. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we've got a problem, right? The law reveals most of those categories to us. The law shows us that these things are sinful. And in this room are seated a bunch of people who fall in at least one of those categories. And in this room is standing someone who falls in some of those categories. And James says that if you've broken one of the laws, you've broken all of them. That is what the law accomplishes. It tells us that we stand condemned before a holy God. The law shows us that we are hopeless apart from Christ. It exposes our sin and reminds us the penalty is death and that we are powerless to change ourselves. And so the law prepares us to be hopeless and then to encounter the hope that we can only get in Christ. So, so here's, here's a point of application for this morning. You need to change categories. If you see in that list of sins, oh, I'm one of those, you can't stand before a holy God and be one of those, but Jesus will stand in your place. So you can't change yourself with a 12-step program. You can't change categories with just more determination. You can't just try harder, do better your way to heaven. You have to give your life to Christ and let Him be your substitute. It is only through the gospel that we can be saved. And praise God, because Jesus came to fulfill the law and be perfectly righteous in our place, the former commandment of sacrificing animals, verse 19, has been set aside. It has been annulled, which means Jesus both fulfills the law and annuls the law. Everything that the law anticipates but cannot accomplish is fulfilled in Christ. We no longer need the priesthood to remind us of our need for someone to come and rescue us because Jesus has Come, the death and resurrection of Christ and His installation as great high priest forever cancels the need for the Levitical priesthood because in Christ we have ongoing access to God and that, by the way, is where the better hope comes in. We have a better hope because we have access to the, uh, the God who made us and formed us and wants us to have a relationship with Him. Jesus is our priest and He gives us the privilege of being those who can together keep on drawing near to God. Our hope is not that we would ever earn or deserve God's love. Our hope is that we already have God's love through the death and resurrection of Christ. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus lived for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus right now prays for me. Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Jesus gives me access to know and enjoy the presence of God. Jesus is my living hope. Now we must not, must not misunderstand, church. The law does not save us. But if Jesus has saved us, we will pursue the holiness that God has revealed in the law. There's a movement out there that wants to say, well, I got the gospel and I can do whatever I want to do. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says if Jesus has changed your heart and changed your life, the law that you could not keep, He now gives you the power to keep through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Suddenly, the law that was drudgery and condemnation is now motivation toward sanctification. Man, I want to do that. I, I want to be holy. I want to honor God. I don't want to be an idolater. I don't want to have the lusts of the eyes. I don't want to commit adultery and murder and lie and sin. I want to love God and love my neighbor, which is the first half of the Ten Commandments and the second half of the Ten Commandments. The first five are all about loving God, and the second half are all about loving your neighbor. And those things have not been canceled through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ gives you the power to keep them through the change that the Holy Spirit produces in you by the power of God when you surrender your life to Him and say, Jesus, I can't do it. You did it. Make me whole and give me the power to follow you and watch what God will do in your life. Finally, that's, that's hope, church. It's a better hope. The hope you need is to know and love God. It's it, it, The only hope that will satisfy your heart is found in the presence of God, and the only place to find it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, God has promised that Jesus is His final forever priest, the guarantee of a better covenant. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but right down here at Kroger Hollins, I've got a, uh, I've got a credit card with a chip in it. Anybody got, got the chip card yet? Yeah. Um, I don't know what's up with the chip readers at Kroger. But I'm at the point where I just want to swipe. <clears throat> because it, it never works. And then I'm standing there, and people are looking at me like, does he have insufficient funds? Did, did he not? Yes. Thank you. And I'm holding up the line. You know, I got my one thing, and, well, what's this guy doing? Here's what's going on in verses 20 through 22. If Jesus is your Savior, you'll never stand before God and have God say, you've got insufficient funds. If Jesus stands in your place, if you've truly given your life to Him, God has sworn with an oath, something that He never swore to any Levite, that His Son would be a priest forever. So no matter how far you've run, no matter what you've said, no matter what you have done, you can take the blood of Jesus to the bank this morning if you have given your life to Him. Now some of you are running because you don't know Jesus yet. You're still trying to run back to a system of self-righteousness that can't heal, that can't save, that can't deliver, that can never make up for the sins of your youth that still haunt you today. And you believe that God is exacting revenge on you now because of what you did when you were 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 or last week. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not trying to terrorize you and afflict you with your sin. He's trying to show you that He sent His Son to heal you and give you a better hope of a better life through a a better covenant if you will surrender your life to him. Jesus, dear brothers, dear sister, dear sinner, is the better priest who brings a better hope based on better terms. He is God's son. He's God's personal guarantee of a better covenant. It is a covenant sign not in the blood of any lamb, but in the blood of the lamb. It's in the blood of Christ. Jesus is better. Stop trying to solve your sin problem. Come to Jesus and be healed forever. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promise of the gospel. 
God, that it's not of works that I have done. It's not anything that I can boast of. It is only through the blood of Christ that I have hope. God, there's, there's a lot of people here today who certainly brought in burdens and concerns and questions and anxieties. And Lord, I, I pray that, that if they take nothing else away today, they would take away that you are a God who gives a true hope, a better hope than any hope this world can afford or give. God, it's the hope that we have through the blood of Jesus of forever access to God so that we can draw near to Him and know His love. God, I pray for the one here today who needs to know the love of God. Spirit of God, move in this place. Let hearts that are broken and hearts that are wounded and hearts that are weary and hearts that are far from God and have been trying to to deal with their sin and their own power, God, let today be the day that they draw near to God through the blood of Jesus. Let them repent of their sin and trust in Christ and find true life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.